Hello everyone and welcome back to Fireside Chats for our sixth episode. It's been a while since the last episode back in April. Uh, So what have I been up to? You might ask. Thanks for asking. I finished my third year at St. Andrews. I traveled for basically the entire month of May. I went to Amsterdam, Lucca, Italy, where I was uh, originally supposed to run a half marathon. Um, No, I am not that athletic, as I quickly learned due to a number of injuries that I sustained in the training process. So I dropped out of that, but I still went and I watched a little bit of the marathon, but I did not run it. And then I went to Bologna, Italy for a night, and then I went back to St. Andrews. I packed up my flat, and then I moved down to London, where I was for two weeks. Um, And in London, I was working for a very small publishing company called Gallic Books. It's um, attached to a little independent bookstore called Belgravia Books. Um, So that was super fun and very interesting to see inside of the publishing industry and the publishing world, especially being in London. Um, But yeah, it was a really busy month, but super fun. And I feel very lucky to have been to the places that I went to, had those experiences and had some really great travel buddies along the way. Um, And now I'm home in Nashville, Tennessee for the rest of the summer. Since I've been home, I've been reading, eating some good Southern food, going on walks, taking naps, all good things, just recharging, having some me time. And I will be working a couple jobs. Don't worry. I'm not just reading and eating and sleeping. Um, Although I am doing some of that as well. So this summer, I'm going to take a more informal and inquisitive spin on fireside chats. So stay tuned for some audible goods coming your way in the next couple months. So today's episode is an interview that I did with one of my friends and a member of the Roosevelt, Roosevelt group, Catherine, earlier this spring. Catherine is genuinely one of the most intelligent and engaging people I know, so of course I had to pick her brain in a podcast episode. So in this episode, you can expect a lot of different things. We talk about Catherine's playwriting, play producing, play directing, as well as topics she likes to explore through theater like female sexuality, hookup culture, friendship, and more. We also brought up some issues such as universities' attention to and support of the arts, and both the call for them to do more while appreciating the creativity that can arise when there is little to no institutional support for the arts. I, as always, learned a ton speaking with Catherine, and I hope you learned something as you listen. Hi, everyone. Hi, Catherine. (laughs) Um, So to get us started, will you tell us where you're from, what year you are, and what you study? Um, I'm from London, but I live in Aberdeen now. I do art history, and I'm a third year. And then I have a fun question for you. Okay. Do you like pulp and juice? Yes, I do actually like pulp and juice. I've got strong opinions about this, actually. Me too. Pulp belongs in juice. It does. It does. That's where the fiber is. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's a snack and a drink. Exactly. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same wavelength. There. Me too, me too. What's your favorite kind of juice? Um, it sounds really pretentious, but clementine juice. You <laughs> that get is it? so pretentious. You can get it in Morrison's and in Tesco's, but I really recommend. Does it have what? pulp? It doesn't, actually. Oh, but you won't shame. go back to orange juice after you've tried clementine juice. Uh-huh. But, or grapefruit. I like Ooh, citrus. I don't like grapefruit. 
I know. It's no. like it constantly just tastes like when you drink orange juice after brushing your teeth. I quite like that though, in a weird way. Like it wakes <laughs> me up. So it's weird. like a, it's like a slap in the face in the it morning. Is. It wakes you up. It totally better is. than caffeine. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, people who don't like pulp and juice are the worst. And if you're listening and you don't like pulp in your juice, Unsubscribe. get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so today is a new style of episode from what I've been doing, because I've mostly been interviewing people who have written articles um, about their articles. But I'm going to call this a member spotlight, and you're our first member spotlight. And, um, yeah, so I just kind of want to talk about your experience with writing plays, producing plays, directing them. Um, so, yeah, how did you get into theater and theater production? Um, I never did it at school. I think it was more during COVID. I think I had, like, a conversation stuck in my head that hadn't happened, and I just wrote it down, and I thought, God, I quite like this. And then I kept writing down things that people had said to me, funny things. And then I was looking through them and I realised that a lot of them were about sex. And so I thought, God, this would write itself. And then I just wrote it all out as a conversation and made up some things too. And then that was Women You Know. And then we just put it on. But it was really as simple as that. Like I'd never, I never did it at school. I kind of wish I did now, but... Um, I'm kind of glad that I sort of fell into it the way I did because mm-hmm. it felt very natural, um, just like a natural progression. But kind of, not accidentally, but I think you can look at all your interests and then you can put them together and then realise, oh, that's something that people do or like make careers out of. So it made sense. Mm-hmm. So tell us like what what plays have you written and what have you helped direct or anything in that realm um so I wrote women you know which is the only thing that I've written that's gone that like I've actually put on yet the minute I'm directing um Millie Haldane's play um called bitch she's really cool she's in fourth year um and she churns out the most incredible scripts literally like a factory it's incredible but um, I'm directing one of her plays. They, they were both very sort of like feminist plays, which I think is needed in St Andrews. I feel like there there is a, um, a kind of like a want and desire for plays like that because sometimes, even though we are the majority, it does feel like you are the minority. Mm-hmm. And then I directed one of my favourite plays, The History Boys, um, last semester. And um, since then, I've just been doing kind of stupid sketches like writing two-page things and trying to film them with my friends but a lot of it has just been me trying to learn like I'm doing the sketches because I want to learn how to do it or the difference between doing like a film thing versus like a like a stage thing um yeah I just want to keep making things for myself because I think I probably should have done English but I do art history so I have no kind of formal understanding of what I meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that, had you like studied plays before you started like creating them? Um, in school, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like um, in the UK, you have to do Shakespeare. So we did Shakespeare. Um, 
we did we did some plays in English when I was at school, and I always enjoyed them. I always enjoyed um, when we spoke about the performance element of it, like turning it from something written to something staged. I always found that interesting. But art history, it's a visual subject, and then you write about it. So in the same way, you're doing something written and you're turning it into something visual. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of the same thing but reverse, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so it does make sense with with the subject I am doing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is is this something that you want to continue doing after university? I hope so, but I think people that say that tend to end up doing something else like journalism. I would hope to, but I have no idea how to do it. I think um, at St Andrews, or may maybe... I'm not sure whether it's specific to St Andrews, but um, I think that there's an idea of, if you're doing certain things, there's an idea of how to get there. Like you get this internship or you know these people and um, there's like a big kind of networking thing. I've got no idea how to how to do this in particular. Um, so it, it's tough to sort of figure that out or like figure out where to start. I think I've decided that it's just about producing as much as you can, mm -hmm. um, even if it's just in St Andrews. I think that that would help me more than getting like a runner job on like a set or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does sometimes feel like a waste of time though because I focus way more on this than my actual degree. And when I'm like writing stupid things, I'm like, God, if this doesn't go anywhere, then you're gonna look back and be like, maybe you should have just done your degree. But I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah. So your play that you wrote, Women You Know, um, tell us about, like, what are the themes of it? Um, sex and, but main, mainly actually female friendship. I was really lucky at school. I had the best friends at school and they were so much fun. And um, we would spend hours, like, just dissecting random things and like having a laugh about them and um about guys and our like sexual experiences because I think it's it was important because we were like 16 and I think I read this thing somewhere that said that women don't have sex as themselves they have sex as men but as women like they look at themselves while they're having sex as if they're men like kind like, of like a third person, yeah, third person perspective type. Thing. As if there's like a man in the room watching them, oh, almost. Like that is so interesting. Yeah, like they're voyeurs of their own femininity. Yeah, and um, it's a performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you're growing up, feeling that, and then I don't know the conversations that you have afterwards with your female friends are important because they somehow like ground you mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah, that, that that was basically it. I mean, I think it started, I think I realised it would be a good idea because I was sat on a bench with some girls in St Andrews and we were talking about this girl's sort of one-night stand and there was a woman on, like, an opposite bench listening to the conversation and, like, laughing, just, like, to herself. Really? <laughs> but, like, what, at what we were saying. So I, I thought, well, she's been there before, she kind of knows what we're talk, what we're on about. But um, if anything, it's just about female relationships and hookup culture and whether that's something that has benefited us or not. I think we grew up 
understanding or, or thinking that um, hookup culture was somehow feminist and liberating. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm a bit older, I'm starting to understand that maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a lighthearted play and it is funny, I hope. But then I, I would hope that people kind of left it not sort of thinking, yeah, like hookup culture is feminist because it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there there are lots of issues with it. Though having women being able to have sex with whoever they want is obviously liberating, mm-hmm. but it's whether the act of having sex like men do mm-hmm. is something that actually benefits women or not. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it feels like, and I mean, exactly what you said. Like, we live in a culture where we feel like this is how we should view sex. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, it was like I felt when I watched the play because I didn't see it last spring when it first we first like showed it, but I saw it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and I was like, this I feel so seen. You know, it felt like it felt like a like a one of those female community moments where you're like, I'm not alone and I'm not crazy for for feeling this way. So. The other things that you've written, do they kind of follow the same theme of, like, women and sex? Um, The thing I'm directing now definitely does Mm -hmm. because they both exist in sort of, like, university environments. Um, But I'm writing something at the minute which is kind of about, like, male productivity. Mm -hmm. So I guess gender is, like, a big theme. But it's just... um, yeah, it's about these guys that get together and one of them's unemployed and sort of down on his luck and, like, a tiny bit depressed. And the other guys just don't get it. Like, they're they're successful in their own rights or um, kind of, like, obsessed with their jobs and they just don't get how this guy can't get off up his arse and... Can I say arse? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, get up off his arse and just, like, do something about it. Uh-huh. So I guess gender is a theme. Um, it's hard to make things not about gender, I feel. Yeah. Like it always... Especially if, I mean, you write the things that are prevalent in your mind. Yeah. You know, like when I'm, when I write creatively, I write about whatever I'm like grappling with, you know, Mm -hmm. and I guess for you that it's just a very prevalent part, which I mean, it is for everybody, gender, especially at the age we are and being in university. I mean, Yeah. Yeah, that's so. I mean, I went to an all girls school, so I came from an all girls environment. Oh yeah. And um, I went to a co-ed second or primary school, but I was educated with girls, Mm -hmm. and then I came here, and then, like I said, even though women are a majority in St Andrews, it does feel like a very male environment. It does. Like I was introduced to the university, hearing stories about all the sexual assaults. Yeah. happening and all the frat clubs and even sinners feels like a very male dominated event mm-hmm. um it, the whole environment is very is a male domain yeah and it feels like too because there's the the population difference like there are so many more girls than guys that it it almost feels like we have to perform in a way for the yeah. guys because they they have the pick. Yeah. They can, they have the, what is it, pick up the lot? Is that a phrase? I think so. I don't know. 
Um, it's accurate. But it's like they have so many choices, but we have to make ourselves stand out as women. I mean, mm-hmm. if that's obviously like a very heterosexual uh, perspective. But there's there's a level of competitiveness that I wonder if it's just the age we are or if it's that plus the fact that St. Andrews has so many more women than men. Yeah, I think maybe a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think St. Andrews is probably quite a right-leaning university um, compared to other UK universities. Really? In yeah. what way? Um, um, my friends at other universities talk about the way that things are dealt with an incident involving race Mm -hmm. or sexual assault or misogyny or transphobia or homophobia, the way the university deals with it feels different. I feel like they're treated with more seriousness, Mm -hmm. more gravity there than here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, here I'd say they just send an email. They send an email. um, It's pretty performative. I've never heard of anyone accused of anything here, like sexual assault, Mm -hmm. who who has been kicked out yeah same um and that's if it does happen at other places they do get kicked out yeah um but also right-leaning in in politics as well I think um Durham and St Andrews seem to be quite right-leaning universities compared to the rest of the UK but I can't remember the original point I was making (laughs) um (laughs) That's okay. We usually just <laughs> meander through whatever okay. whatever comes to the top of our minds. Um, yeah, I wonder, do you think that's because of the, the student population or do you think that the institution of the school is totally independent? Because um, Scottish students don't pay, I think that there's a... that like the, univer- the university have an external minimum quota of how many Scottish students um, they want in the university, but there's definitely an internal maximum. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they end up taking a lot of English students and, yeah, they take a lot of... And I think that that poses issues because it means that... um, the the very kind of policy that was meant to benefit Scottish students isn't actually working because universities are kind of trying to find loopholes around it because they're not because it means that they don't get the correct funding. Yeah. Um. I think I think it's a bit of both. I think it's the board, and then that um, that dictates what sort of students are being let in. Mm-hmm. Um. But then also vice versa. St yeah. Andrews is a good university, so. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So we were talking about, like, your friends who go to other universities and they have more, like, left-leaning experiences and how that trickles down into, like, school response. Do you think that the cultures of other schools surrounding sex and hookup cultures is different? Or do you think it's the same? Um, It probably isn't different I think it's like a I think it is probably like an epidemic it's probably similar in America yeah like hookup culture and um a couple of years ago there were texts leaked on like um on an all boys whatsapp group 
mm-hmm. about um, them having sex with women and sexually assaulting women and um, it was leaked and it was in the press and they got in a lot of trouble for it. But I think that was the first conversation I'd ever seen about hookup culture at university. I think I must have been about 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. So university was like in my periphery, but not, Yeah, I wasn't really thinking about it. Yeah. But um, I remember that being a big conversation about hookup culture. And then the year going into um, St. Andrews, these girls, this girl from my old school actually set up um, an Instagram account called Everyone's Invited. And um, they started publishing names of schools and universities where women had been sexually assaulted or anyone had been sexually assaulted. And it really blew up and it was in the papers and she did loads of interviews. And it was really cool to see, but it meant that I entered university at um, a weird time of like being really aware of it. Yeah. Um, And I'm not sure if that had been the case before, Um, only with the sort of Warwick Uni whatsapp messages leaked i think that was the first time there was a conversation and it kind of died down and then this really blew up Mm -hmm. so that was really cool to see um yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's really interesting like considering the different backgrounds that people come from school-wise because i went to a co-ed high school and everybody it was a boarding school everybody lived on campus so like even kids who grew up across the street had to live in the dorms and there were 450 of us there and the hookup culture at this place for ages 14 to 18 was absolutely horrendous like it was just so weird and so what would happen is and my older sisters went there like 10 years before me and it was the same for them so I think like ever since there's been girls at the school it's kind of been like that but basically like a you would like have the have the hots for a guy or a guy would be interested in you and they would basically text you snapchat you message you in some way and when my sisters were there this would all happen over email because it was before like iPhones (laughs) and they would just say like oh want to hang out and that meant like you were gonna go to a broom closet in one of the academic buildings or the bottom of a staircase or sneak off into the woods in the night and potentially get caught by a security guard and hook up, whatever that meant. And then it just got around the school because everybody, we were in such close quarters that everybody knew everything about everyone else. And that was like, I, okay, so I was a late bloomer. Like I was coming from a very small town, like was not very cute in high school. People weren't especially interested in me. So I just kind of felt like on the outside of all this, but I was still observing it. And this was like my introduction to like, to sex and hooking up and relationships. And I was, and I came from a a town where people, at least as far as I perceived, people dated or at least hung out a little bit before they were intimate physically and to go from that into this environment where you just kind of go off with a guy into some weird place and you're kind of alone and then everybody finds out the very intimate details of like whatever happens and is talking about it around the breakfast table the next morning at 8 a.m. I mean it's it's terrifying 
And it's really like scarring to kind of exist in that environment when you're 14, 15, 16 years old. And so I guess I kind of already had that conception of sex before I came to St. Andrews. So the hookup culture, it didn't really phase me in a way. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we, we had similar experience. Like, I went to an all-girls school, but it was similar, but the conversations about sex were different. I felt mm-hmm. quite isolated from the way guys were talking about sex outside of school. Mm-hmm. But um, because we were there all the time apart from weekends, it meant that my friends and girls just, like, went rabid on the weekends when they went home. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more the dialogue around sex and, like, the way that men talk about um, about sex or women that they've had sex with, which I... I not that I not that I didn't know it was less that I didn't less that I didn't know and more that it wasn't a national conversation mm-hmm. it wasn't something that people were talking about in the news yeah like I knew that you know god he tried he treated my friend quite badly or they said some horrible things about my friend and then it turned into something political mm-hmm. it before then it was just kind of life um yeah you mean like before the Me Too movement, or um, what are you referring before, to? Before I'm referring to um, like everyone's invited, oh, and okay. that that conversation. And then also, I'm not sure if you read, but you, you I mean, probably did. But in August, I remember it. The um, the stories about the frat house in St Andrews uh-huh. that came out in the August before we came. Yeah. So it, being exposed to that as well. Yeah. Um, that was really scary. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, like, so it was less so that it was less about not being exposed to these things, more so not thinking about them as as political epidemic things Mm -hmm. that happen across the UK Mm -hmm. or across everywhere. Mm Um, yeah. Yeah. I I never kind of realised that they, maybe naively, that these weren't isolated experiences. They weren't, oh, but he did that to my friend or he did that to my other friend. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, oh, wait, no, this is about a learned behavior on how to treat women. Yeah, it's a total cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really cool how you were able to to take this concept and make a funny play out of it, like a really funny play. But also, like, with, like, dark undertones and cultural commentary. I just thought it was very artfully done. Thank you. Well, I mean, yeah. so many of the stories, you have to thank my friends. Like, a lot of the stories are are real. Um, but, yeah, no, I think, I, I think, I, d- I don't, I, what I do know is I don't think I'll ever have it in me to write something too heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and by no means comparing anything. I've done or what I do to Michaela Cole, but she's one of my favorite, um, like current writers, and she wrote "I May Destroy You," and it's it's super heavy. It's about her own sexual assault, mm-hmm. um, and but she does it in a way that's so funny that it means that it's digestible. I think that things that are too heavy are you can't digest them. Yeah. So um, there has to be like an element of of humor to them. Mm-hmm. 
I really like the comedian Steve Coogan, who's also an actor, uh, but he said in like a BAFTA speech or something that you learn more about people through what they laugh at than what they cry at. Yeah, and that's so true. Yeah, it's really true. So women you know got picked up by some girls who go to Oxford, right? Yeah. And so how do you know about like how they're putting it on there went? Or yeah, so they put it on, I think, last semester, I think, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to watch it. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool to, um, to, to watch something that I had like nothing to do with really. I remember when cuz they were the direct the director of um of women you know Stella. She knew them, which is how they like found out about it and um how they wanted to put it on and I was really against it. I really didn't want them to do it because I just thought god, I can't imagine anyone in it that isn't the actors that we already have. Yeah. Um I was obviously like quite attached to it. Yeah. Um and then then she was like, no, I think it would be a good idea. And I'm really glad that I that she convinced me because by the time I watched it, it really didn't feel like anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, was the, the script was still the same though, right? Yeah, the script was the same, but they interpreted things really differently. Like at the end, there's like a big so song, um, You're So Vain. Uh-huh. And like I had... Um, I had it in my head that um, um, this is how we did it when we know that they'd be singing to the audience, to the men in the audience, mm-hmm. telling them that they were so vain that they thought this, like, the song was about them. Mm-hmm. But um, in the Oxford version, they were singing to each other and it was like this really beautiful kind of, I don't know, comment on female friendship. Uh-huh. And um, instead... They were talking to the women in the audience yeah. that they were so vain. So it was less man hatey, yeah. more kind of a celebration of of female friendship and um, and womanhood, which I thought was really cool. And I hadn't thought that yeah. before. So um, it was it was really nice to see someone else do it. And I think since having that, I would never direct something that I've written because you just close yourself off to so many different other interpretations or options or things that you never you've never seen Mm -hmm. um but like there is an art to letting something go that's really hard to do but I'm getting good at it Mm -hmm. I think um when I finished the script I absolutely hated it and I wanted to burn it and um and then you, you give it to the director and they and then it's not yours anymore, and that's difficult. Yeah. But by the time the director gives it to the actors, that in itself is also difficult. But then, um, then the director like gives it to the or to the audience, or no, to the actors, and then the actors give it to the audience. But by that point, you're so detached from it; it's got nothing to do with you. And I really did feel that. Yeah. But there was there was a period of grief, especially seeing as the script was so, like the script is about my friends. So I felt really attached so to it. So personal to you. Mm-hmm. And you spent a really long time writing it, right? Yeah, I, I think I, we, I started it in maybe like March of first year. Okay. And then I got halfway through and then I left it. And then I quit my job really spontaneously. What was your job? Um, I was working at Hatch oh. in St. Andrews. <laughs> and oh, wait, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was unemployed for two weeks and 
while I was like waiting for emails for another job, I just finished it. I think my my method before was just sort of sporadically writing loads of pages and then literally doing nothing for four months and then going back to it. But then now I think I'm in the habit of trying to do it more often, which Mm -hmm. I think is healthier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because then you kind of hold yourself accountable. Yes. And you get to see, like, you get to kind of watch yourself grow because I feel like I do the same thing with writing. I'll, like, I'll write, like, a... I'll sit down and write for 30 straight minutes and then not just like when I feel it, when it comes Mm -hmm. to me, and then I I won't look at it or do anything for months. Like right now I'm doing a creative writing class, and we spent the first half of the semester writing stories, and then we like just got our grades back on them, and then we have to spend the rest of the semester editing the same stories. But I'm like, I've created this thing, and I like put my heart and soul into it for six weeks. Yeah. And now I have to like basically totally refashion it based off of other people's feedback in ways that they think that I could could make it better, which I mean that's part of the process, but it's it's tough. Yeah, I find the creative writing classes really interesting. I really want to do them. Um like the evening ones, but yeah. Um I haven't got around to it yet. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do find the whole idea of like marking creative work really interesting and I'd love to like see how it works it's weird like they we someone asked at the beginning of the year they were like do you grade on how well written something is or how do you grade creativity Mm -hmm. and the teachers said um there's two women who teach the class and they're amazing they're such great writers and they give really good advice um but they said that they grade us based on how much we incorporate what we learn in the classes so like we do have to do reading every week and it's stuff about like what is macro editing what is micro editing um how do you create a character who is like legit and believable to the reader Mm -hmm. and they basically grade us on how well we incorporate that stuff into the story so and the one of the teachers she was like I have given 20s to really terrible writing and I've given 12s to really great writing but the people were just too cocky and they weren't willing to accept the feedback and they thought that their stories were too good to be to be fixed up so yeah they do it I I read this other thing that said that unless you hate it like you've done it Mm -hmm. wrong because you haven't looked at it and looked at it and picked it apart until until you don't want to look at it anymore yeah totally um so then this other play that you directed, History Boys, mm-hmm. was about an all-boys school, but specifically their history class. So what was it like to go from a play about very intimate female relationships to male relationships and male friendship um, in like a classroom setting? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, there's one... There's one woman in it, and she's a teacher. And I remember we had a discussion at the beginning as to whether we would um, blind cast and have, um, like, women playing men and um, or vice versa. And we kind of decided that it almost was... Um, it, it would almost do the... It, it wouldn't be effective having the one 
women character in a room of not just men. Mm-hmm. Um, she does this like amazing speech halfway through this amazing kind of rant where she kind of talks about how tough it is teaching boys about history um being a woman mm-hmm. um and i think she calls it do you know how hard it is to teach like 1000 years of masculine ineptitude um and then she says that history is women following behind with a bucket mm-hmm. um and we kind of felt henry who produced it and I felt that um, that would be most effective if she was only the female presence on that stage, mm-hmm. which is why we ended up doing... Um, we we stuck to kind of men playing the men. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like? I think that's really tough. Because I, I, what I really appreciated about it was that the play gives you insight to what male relationships are like when there's no women around. Because yes, there was one woman in the play, but she's the teacher and she's not always like on stage. They're not, she's not in the classroom dynamic of the other characters. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was really interesting to see that. Yeah, no, exactly. I I, I think I, notes I gave them were that like your friends in this class but you're all very different people like they have intimate relationships because they go through this um really intensive couple of month process to get into Oxbridge but they come from very different backgrounds mm-hmm. so I think a lot of it was like subtext mm-hmm. sort of they're in an intimate environment and they are friends but how much of that is um how how much of that not not as genuine but how far can you go with that because they're all so different mm-hmm. and they all go on to do such different things mm-hmm. whereas with the women it was like you share this common um thing like i want i wanted them to be childhood friends mm-hmm. um and closer somehow more intimate they're talking about more intimate things um yeah, and History Boys too. I mean, it's it's such a unique relationship regardless of that that everybody has experienced if you've gone to school at some point in your life. Like you have when you have a class that meets regularly, that class forms a certain bond. Yeah. You know, and it's it's like you're friends in the classroom, but you're not necessarily hanging out on Saturday or mm-hmm. after school, but it's it's just in that one room for however many times a week. It's like a very weirdly close relationship. Yeah. But not not in the same sense as women you know where you're where you're best friends and you know everything about each other and you are talking about things like sex, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's implied at the end of the history boys that they don't end up really staying in contact they Mm -hmm. kind of go off and do their own things Mm -hmm. um whereas I'd like to think that with women you know the idea is that they've been friends for a long time and will be friends for a long time Mm -hmm. there there is like a fleetingness that I really like about the history boys yeah um it's nostalgic too yeah yeah it's super nostalgic Mm -hmm. of um something that we weren't even like around for and the the conversations they, they talk about really tough complicated um 
topics surrounding sexuality and male sexuality, um, homosexuality. Um, it's one of my favorite plays and I've seen the movie like about 60 times. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to do it justice. And um, but, but the male relationship thing, I'd have to honestly think about that like overnight mm -hmm. and come back to you about <laughs> it because it's such a good question. Something else I want to talk about is the infrastructure or lack thereof for student plays in St. Andrews. Because we've talked about this. Yes. So tell us. Um, so when I first came to St. Andrews on my open day, and I'd never done any theatre or anything like that before, um, I walked past the Barron Theatre and I just thought, that's really cool. I want to spend all of my time there. Mm -hmm. And I got here and it was shut. And um, it was COVID, so I guess they could kind of get away with it. Um, but then things started opening up again and it didn't. And... I think what happened is they decided to turn it into an office and then the lady whose office it was left and like doesn't work here anymore. So it is just sitting empty, but they never renewed the license for it. And I know that I used to work with a girl who was really involved in productions here and she made a petition and thousands of students signed it Whoa. to reopen the Baron and nothing happened. Um, there aren't any student spaces for theatre at all. The buyer is a community theatre. It's not a student theatre. So it costs thousands of pounds to rent. Really? Um, How do you... So when you're putting on... Like the History Boys, for example, was at That was at the, the buyer. buyer, but we did it with Mermaids, which is the okay. university-affiliated um, production um, trust. Mm -hmm. So they have like a lot of money that they can then rent out the buyer for a bit. Okay. Um, they move the Baron to the buyer studio. Okay. Which is where Women You Know is. But that's not a theatre, it's a black it's, box. Yeah, it's a black box. Um, so it's completely different. Um, yeah, they just shut it. They wow. just shut it because. Do you who think knows? they just don't have the money to open it? I think they definitely have the money to open it. It's just whether they want to or not, whether yeah. they think it's useful. I mean, we're currently putting on the three plays that we're doing in April um, in the Buchanan Lecture Theatre, mm -hmm. but it's a theatre. It's like a it's lecture a, room. It's a lecture room, I mean. It's not a theatre. <laughs> um, and that will do, but it, that's tricky with lighting. Yeah. Obviously, they've got... They put... They put, like, chairs in the union, and they call it the stage, but that's 601. Oh, yeah. There's no space dedicated for student theatre, and it's not even student theatre that needs the space. It's, like, bands and, um, I don't know, slam poetry and all the other, like, weird and wonderful things that go on in St. Andrew. There, there is a need for an art space, mm -hmm. and there just isn't one. Yeah. Um, it makes it hard to... We're trying to do these plays independently and they're all student-written and it's really hard to like, somehow scrape together the money to do so. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels unfair to have to do that because there should be a space that this university already pro provides for free or for a very small fee at least. Mm -hmm. um, we shouldn't have to rent out one of the lecture halls to put on a play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is a shame, but I would love for to have it, like, reopen before we leave. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, like, my secret mission. But I don't know how to do it. Yeah. 
Have you tried like talking to anyone from the school personally? Um, like over Christmas, I got like really annoyed about it randomly, and I called student services. Really, and I was like, <laughs> "Some tell me where I can speak to someone about the Baron," um, and she kind of she told me that I had to speak to mermaids. But, but mermaids like, can't do, do mermaids can't do anything about uh-uh. it. I'm sure They're if mermaids students. wanted to, they they would have it open. But it's a licensing thing, so um, it's there's like a board that uh-huh. own it essentially, and you need to go to them. So maybe we should go to their board. Maybe I don't know. we should. Maybe we should just go knock on the door of the Baron Theater right now. I think I think definitely. I mean, they definitely should. I think it it it, it makes it more annoying because they oversubscribed the amount of students mm. in the university yeah. so people had to go m- live in Dundee mm-hmm. um, they they put up the prices of accommodation and they can blame the cost of living crisis as much as they can but the, the point is is that like I'm, I'm, I think the university are probably making a profit a greater profit than they were a couple of years ago um, because they let so many students in, so there's there's no reason to not open it. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be that great of a cost, but they are saying that it is a cost thing. Yeah, yeah. If anybody's listening and they work at the University of St Andrews, yeah, we have some questions. <laughs> exactly. Or um, maybe we should do another petition. But I, it does yeah. get me really riled up because it just. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I think it's because they just don't really care about the arts at St. Andrews that much. I agree. There's no there's no arts program. No. So we're left to our own devices. But I think I think with that comes a really beautiful thing that's kind of unique to St. Andrews or probably other universities that don't have arts programs, but you see the the things that people create when there's no sort of skeleton to to do it for you you know there's so many student publications there's podcasts and radio shows people put on plays there's um art shows and all kinds of things Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's things that we've totally done on our own yeah because it's completely unregulated Mm -hmm. you're right we're really left to our own devices I really want to do a play when, when, when we decided to do people you know and do it independently we were worried about what venues that we could afford, mm-hmm. none, essentially. So um, I started writing this thing to be set in a pub, and I'm talking, and I'm, I'm like, talking to the other writers, and that we're, we're thinking about, uh, like, other weird places we can put on plays, like, mm-hmm. outside or on the beach. Mm-hmm. So looking for a space is, in itself, a creative thing. Yeah. Um, you know, my flatmate did his gig in a burger shop. He did it in St. Sizzle. Yeah. Um, it's really cool that we get to do that. I think it actually makes um, the student community way more creative than any other student environment that I've come across. Mm-hmm. The um, academic, like an academic university, not like an art school. Yeah, totally. Um, so before we run out of time, tell us quickly what is people you know and what can we expect to see in with whatever you're working on, be it the play called Bitch or <laughs> the other ones that you're that you're kind of helping put on next month. Yeah, so it's um, 
It's a production company that we've set up that specializes in student writing specifically. Um, so we were taking scripts. We currently have three scripts and we're putting them all on in one night in the Buchanan Theatre, lecture theatre. Mm. Um, one's called Bitch. It's written by Millie Haldane. The other one's called A Man Walks Into a Bar, also written by Millie Haldane. And the last one is called Trust, written by Nicole Salu and um, Natalie Westgall. And um, we basically started it because we wanted to sort of like invest more time into student theatre and um, because there is one um, production company, sort of Trust Mermaids, mm -hmm. well, at the time when we decided to, to set this up, it means that everyone's always, like, competing to to put on to put on their plays, and sometimes it meant that student theatre or original writing in theatre was being, like, left behind or people weren't getting a chance to try things out and see th and visualise what they want to see on stage so we thought there should be like another avenue um, that specializes specifically in student writing so that's what we're doing but then we want to do other stuff like I'm, I'm writing all these sketches and I'm putting them on YouTube and they are actually slightly terrible I can't edit videos but it's just fun <laughs> to kind of write things and put out put it out there and I'm looking for people to write things direct things please edit specifically mm -hmm. um, whatever they want because it is cool to get to try things and visualize it and see something from page to stage. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that, that, that's why we set it up. But before that, it was slightly harder to, to do so mm -hmm. because it was so hyper-competitive. And um, Mermaids does all plays, they do everything. So they don't just specialize in, in student written things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's kind of it. So if people want to find your sketches on YouTube, what should they search for? Um, people You Know Productions, I think, is like the name. I changed my YouTube channel okay. that had nothing on it um, <laughs> to, um, to People You Know Productions. So they're on there. There's currently one on there, but okay. hopefully more by the end of the semester. But they're Yay. really fun to do. I'm having such a good time doing them. Yay, that's so exciting. I didn't know that you were doing that, but that's so cool. Yeah, the first one's about um, a man in a turtleneck. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions about men in turtlenecks, actually. Exactly. You it's should watch a... this video then. Okay, I will. I'll watch it after this. Um, okay, well, we are out of time. Thank you, Ward. Catherine, thanks so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. Um, if you're listening, check out Catherine's sketches at People You Know on YouTube. And... Yeah, for the Roosevelt Group stuff, uh, check out our website, roosevelt-group.org. You can see some of Catherine's previous writings, right? Quick takes? Yes. Yeah. You didn't write for New Annals, did you? I didn't. No. Okay. I'm sorry. But you can find <laughs> Catherine's quick takes on our website, roosevelt-group.org. Also, be sure to check out our social media at the Roosevelt Group on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening, and see you all next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>